1: Hey, this is Cami. Jacqueline Brennan joins us on Money Tales This Week. Jax has been on both sides of the wealth spectrum. When she was young, Jax's family went from having wealth to having nothing. She says this experience has allowed her to be comfortable taking incredible risks and leaps as a founder of a growing business. If her entrepreneurial endeavors don't work out, Jax has the confidence of knowing that she could always fall back on her talents and get a corporate job. Meanwhile, As an entrepreneur, she's scrappy, tenacious, and knows how to stretch a dollar to maximize opportunities. Today, Jax is the CEO and co-founder of Feely, a female mastermind membership community focused on educational masterclasses, accountability, peer-to-peer mentorship, leadership advancement, and funding opportunities for early-stage female founders. Her background is in fashion, where she designs Serena Williams' First jewelry collection, launched multiple ready to wear collaborations with Lord and Taylor and Bloomingdale's, and executive produced the documentary series Connecting Thread for Refinery 29.
2: Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Jax hits on in this conversation. First, the importance of surrounding yourself with other people who have superpowers different than your own. Second, how after 175 venture pitches, Jax has learned the critical information investors look for. It's about the founder, knowing your numbers, and being confident with your approach. And third, making asks are the most essential thing business owners can do. They have to know how to ask for what they want and need. We hope you share this episode with a friend, and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, onto our conversation with Jacqueline Brennan.
1: Hi, MoneyTales listeners. We're here for another great conversation with our guest today, Sandy. Before we go there, any interesting money thoughts or ideas you've had of late?
2: Tammy, I've really been paying keen attention to how my family and I are spending money. We've been in a high inflation environment for over a year. It looks like maybe. Inflation has hit its peak, but I've noticed there are things that we've held back on spending money on, and we've been replacing those items with other less expensive things. What's an example? Travel. Oh, geez. Yes. Which is a a big, important part of our lives. We love to travel, but it's so expensive right now. And we've been modifying. We've been traveling to closer destinations, destinations where we know folks, and it's not so much from a budgetary standpoint, but I realized it's more from a mental framework standpoint because the cost of hotels and plane flights are just so much more expensive than I'm used to that it just feels wrong. And I keep comparing the cost of staying in a hotel for a week to our monthly mortgage. And I don't know, it's it's really weird mental math.
1: That is the wealth planner in you for sure.
2: It's holding me back. How about you, Cammy? Have you noticed any changes in spending related to inflation?
1: The answer is yes. I don't know if I've made any intentional decisions saying, oh, it costs this much relative to my budget. We were thinking of going to Ireland for some time with my mother-in-law. And we decided we were going to postpone. That's such an important trip. But we decided we'd postpone because we are hoping that things do settle down. And if we wait a couple months will be more reasonable. So I guess that is one, but I didn't apply it to my mortgage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Don't go there.
1: <laughs> well, maybe our guest has some thoughts on this topic as well. I'd like to welcome Jax Brennan to the Money Tales podcast. It's great to have you.
0: Thank you both so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Jax, would you introduce yourself? In
1: doing so, would you share a couple pivotal moments that happened to you that really impacted who you are today?
0: Absolutely. So I started my career working in fashion as a creative director, working in the corporate fashion industry, mostly in jewelry, and then into women's ready-to-wear. After doing that for so many years, I really had a yearning to be an entrepreneur, a founder, to go all in on an idea and something I was passionate about. And in 2018, I left my corporate job and I started a tech company with a few male partners. It was a SaaS B2B software for the fashion industry. And we had a really hard time. The company winded up folding. We raised a bunch of capital, had a hard time managing our burn rates as a startup. And I winded up walking away from the business. That failure... I'd say fail forward led me to doing what I'm doing today, which is FELI, which stands for tribe in Greek and family in Latin. We're a female founders mastermind, private membership community that focuses on education, peer-to-peer mentorship, accountability, and funding opportunities for early stage female founders.
1: Mm, That's powerful. Would you go back in time and share with us when you were growing up, how was money handled in your home?
0: As simple as that. I have a really interesting relationship with money because to be quite honest with you, I grew up having a lot of it. My father worked on Wall Street in private markets. In 2008, when the market crashed, my father had a heart attack and we winded up losing everything. So I've been on both sides of the spectrum, having wealth and having nothing. And that's even happened in my own personal journey in my own life, having wealth, creating wealth from a corporate role that was really high paying to being a startup founder, giving everything up. Going back to nothing. So money and myself, we have an interesting relationship, but I'm gonna speak that I am attracting abundant money and it's coming to me and it's flowing easily because I do believe that our money mindset is very important and how we um our relationship with money and how we handle it.
2: So say more about this, Jackson, in the context of those two pivotal money moments that you just shared, of having a significant change in financial wherewithal. How did that lead you to really become keenly aware of your money mindset?
0: I believe that being on both sides of the spectrum allowed me to be a founder. To be a founder, you take incredible risks and leaps in life. And knowing that my strengths, my talents, I'll always have something to fall back on. So if this doesn't work out, I'll go get a corporate job and throw in the towel and go do it. But I'm willing to take the risk because I know what it's like on both sides. I know what it's like to be scrappy, to not have a lot to work with and to make my dollar stretch. And I think if I didn't have that opportunity growing up, knowing what it's like to work extremely hard for everything I've had, I would not have the same mindset that I have today.
1: I love the term being scrappy. It's very descriptive. I, I, I feel it. Would you bring it to life for us? What does being scrappy mean when you're younger or even as you were an adult in your entrepreneurial roles?
0: So being scrappy, I'll kind of go back to my fashion career. I did five unpaid internships and worked extremely hard to get my first role as a corporate creative director at a young age, at about 26 years old. And everyone said, well, how did you do that? You know, that seems so young. You didn't put in your dues. I started working when I was 13 years old with my first job. So I have always worked extremely hard and rolled up my sleeves, being scrappy, uh, when I did start working in fashion, I couldn't afford it. I looked at the women around me and I did not come from, at that time, a family that had endless money where I can go out and buy these clothes and feel great showing up to work every day in the latest outfit. So I started a blog 13 years ago. It was called Blazers and Bellinis, And through my relationships, through my partnerships, I was able to garner in-trade for everything that I needed, because I couldn't financially afford it. So I knew that if I was able to highlight brands, to give them marketing opportunities and to build community, I would be able to find my way. I use that throughout my whole life, throughout my whole career, finding creative ways to create partnerships and elevate people so that everybody wins, even if I don't have the financial wherewithal to do so.
2: It's a great example that really brings Scrappy to life, Jax. Tell
0: us about your relationship with money today. What's it like? Yeah. So again, it's something real, just to be honest, it's something really interesting, especially in the world that I live in, in the startup world, I'm in the position where We are growing and scaling at such a rapid pace with Feely, but I don't have the financial resources that I need to support the demand, which again, this is going to pull in a little bit of statistics. Only 2.5% of women are getting venture funded, less than 1% to non-white women. So I look at the, the startup landscape and I see all of these tech companies. Now we're seeing we're in a bear market and we're seeing how tech companies and inflation and how crypto just really crashed burned and all of the social media channels are having some discrepancies now. So we're looking at this and how easy it is for funding for these men. Meanwhile, we have a really successful scalable business and we're fighting for dollars every day. So my relationship with money is a bit of an interesting one. It's a touch and go. I'm doing my best to attract more of it, but I'm also realizing that when we look at the landscape of what's happening in today's world with inflation and the market we're currently in, there is a big piece of me that's been kind of holding back and pulling the reins, kind of what you were mentioning, Sandy. How do we do less with more? And I think this is something we're really good at as women, doing less with more because we've had to most of our lives. You talked about fighting for dollars. Can you bring that to life a little bit more and tell us what it's like? It's challenging. Raising capital in general is challenging, especially as a woman of color or a Latina woman. It's quite challenging in today's world. Investors are starting to close their investment dollars. Everybody is being extremely conservative in terms of investment because of everything that's been happening for Bitcoin and crypto and NFT. The market was really oversaturated for a long time. The trends that I am seeing in terms of investment, people are investing in impact and sustainability and community, which is good news. So we're seeing that investors are still giving back to things that are going to help our worlds, our society, and really focusing on next gen, the next generation of founders.
1: Jacks with Feely, it's a network as a service. I was reading that on your LinkedIn profile. In this community, what are women saying about this concept of doing more with less?
0: So here's how it works. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the term mastermind. And I'm sure you're both familiar, have heard of it. Mastermind was coined in 1925 by Napoleon Hill. And he said, I might not be the smartest man in the room, but if I surround myself with the best... Together, we grow and move mountains. So when we think about doing more with less, every woman sitting at that table, our tables are set to 10. So 10 women per cohort, we have many of them running at the same time. Every woman has to be able to contribute their superpower, their unique skill set, what makes them an expert in something. So if you're sitting at the table with a top female leader in legal, in marketing, in tech, in finance, in digital media you're all doing more with less because you might not have what I have, but together if we're sharing our resources month over month, week after week, we're elevating and we're growing together. So it's that notion of everybody has something to contribute at the table and we're pulling our resources to do more with less.
1: I love it. Doing more together. And then It sounds like there's an element of accountability, which we've heard a lot on the podcast, people talking about the value, the benefit of accountability partners.
0: It's extremely important. You got to have skin in the game, right? And as women, we have so many things that are on our plates. We just do. I, a lot of us are getting an education, building our career. Some of us are mothers navigating family dynamics. And the thought of having someone that loves you and supports you and is going to call you out when you're not pulling your weight, is going to call you out when you're getting burnt out and you need to relax or take a break. Um, is going to remind you that deadline, like, hey, did you get that done this week? It's so important. And we've created an accountability partner system, and it's bi monthly. So we do special accountability pairing within the cohort communities we have, and we've set up guidelines for them. This is how you have to check in. Here's a little checklist sheet that you're going to ask each other these questions, and then they decide how they're going to interact. Some of them text every single day. Some of them do phone calls once a week. Minimum commitment is a physical Zoom face-to-face on the screen at least once a month. And we have seen friendships form, new business opportunities happen, women that were prevented from really bad burnouts, divorces, babies, everything. And it's so important to have that. We all need an accountability partner.
2: I like what you just described too of having the participants have control over what works for them in terms of when to be checked in with and how. I think that's so important, especially when it comes to money conversations. So I'm curious within the Feely ecosystem, how often is money being discussed within these cohorts?
0: Every day. Every day, money is being discussed. We have to talk about money. And I think the biggest piece of it is people are afraid to talk about money because they feel like they're going to be a failure. I have made so many mistakes personally in my life as it relates to money. Things that I wish I did, savings that I wish I built a long time ago, burning through money too quickly because of running a startup and having little resources. But the more we talk about it and share our experiences, it's like we're passing the roadmap so the next woman won't fail or make the same mistake. That we did. So we're always having these conversations about money, about how to build wealth, about how to pay off debt, about how to do our taxes, about raising capital and how you're allocating those dollars and like he- having a healthy cash flow and burn rate. And um, we get vulnerable. We share the good parts and the bad parts about it.
2: You mentioned just a a little while ago that you've had some money failures in your life. And I'm curious, what do you consider a money failure? And would you share one with us and what you learned from it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in my corporate role, I built up a... 401k account. And I wish I rolled it over into a Roth IRA so much sooner. I wish I invested that money. But there came a point in my business where things were so tight. And I was in between you know, major events and things were happening. And we needed capital quickly. And I wasn't able to raise it. So I've actually put my personal 401k savings into my startup, which you hear a lot as founders, early stage startup founders. This is a very common theme. But I do wish that I did it a little bit differently. And I think it's a good learning lesson. I think I can share with other founders who pivot from corporate to starting a company, the options that you have in a Roth IRA and how you can even translate that into giving shares for your employees or using those dollars in other ways for your startup business.
2: And just for the listener, in case you're not so familiar with all these different retirement plans, but 401k is offered by an employer and typically you can contribute money to it either on a pre-tax basis or in the case of a Roth 401k on an after-tax basis. And when you leave the employment with the employer, you have the option of rolling your 401k over to an IRA, an individual retirement account. If you're going from a traditional 401k, you can roll over to a traditional IRA from a Roth 401k, you can roll over to uh, Roth IRA. And if you want, <laughs> if you're going from the traditional 401k to the traditional IRA, you can convert that traditional IRA to a Roth by paying tax on the balance and converting that money to after-tax dollars. So basically what you're saying is you took money out of the retirement planning instead of allowing it to continue to be invested on a tax-free basis, regardless of how it was getting there. And I'm wondering, Jax, when you were making that decision, what was going through your mind? Because whenever we make money decisions, there are always trade-offs. And so I'm just curious, was this decision one that you spent a lot of time thinking about and how did you decide to do that?
0: Yeah. So it was a tough one because I knew that I would be slammed in tax, not only for taking it out early, but because of my age. And it wasn't even a long, hard decision. It was, there was no option. There was bills that have to be paid. People rely on me for salaries, my employees. And when you are a founder and you're all in, in your company, sometimes you have to make those really tough decisions, even if it affects you personally. I knew that I had to give it all the thought, but it was a tough one. And I know a lot of people could relate to that decision who've been in, in my shoes before, but I think it's a testament that you really have to believe in your business and what you're doing.
1: Hey, Jax, speaking of that, you talked about feeling you're you're growing and scaling at such a rapid pace. Those are your words. It's It's really great. But you need dollars to support that growth and in your vision, which means... You're having to talk money a lot with investor potential investors. Describe those conversations and how does that feel to be asking for investments?
0: So I am proud to say we closed our pre-seed round of $200,000 in this Congratulations. So even though it's not a huge amount, I'm still really proud of it because I had to do it by myself as I'm running the company and doing everything else wearing the other hats. What is exciting, thrilling, and also terrifying to say, we are opening a seed round of $2 million to grow and scale our technology and MVP. And I have to tell you, I counted all of the pitches I have done in 2022. Are you ready for this? How many? I have done 175 pitches. So at this point, I am confident in what I say and how I say it. An investor meeting, what I've learned, and I have some really interesting data for you ladies too. I use a system called DocSend, which is how I upload my investor deck. And it allows me to see who's looking at my deck and for how many minutes or seconds and what pages they look at. Now, the interesting data point that I want to share is the average time an investor has spent looking at my deck is less than one minute. Oh geez. They're looking at two pages out of a 15-page deck. So this shows you when you are going out to raise capital with an investor, it is all about the founder. It is about knowing your numbers, being confident in your approach, Nobody wants you to sit there and review slides on Zoom. They want to hear what's the business proposition? How big is the market? How are you going to make the money? What are the dollars being used for? And that's it. So I feel like at this point, I have spent so much time pitching and talking about money that I am confident and comfortable going after my institutional raise.
2: That's fantastic. Jex, I'm curious, early on in the year, maybe when you're on pitch number two or three as opposed to 175, what was it like after you made the pitch? And especially in situations where where you got the big no.
0: Ladies, if I can be honest with you, I would cry. I would cry. I think my pitch where someone is just, you put so much time and energy, you get all dressed up on Zoom, you're like psyching yourself up for this and the whole time someone's on their phone, They're looking at their email, like their kids are running through the dogs coming out and they're like, you know what? Nah, this is not for me. And it almost feels debilitating because your business is your baby. So if somebody is not getting it or doesn't like it, or just flat out says no with zero feedback, it is so hard. But the lesson that I have learned is getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, and literally going back to everybody that said no and just said, hey... Why didn't this resonate with you? And instead of letting it bother me or get under my skin, to take that feedback and say, well, what am I doing wrong? Why is it not resonating? Am I not explaining it properly? And I think it's truly taken me a full year to understand all of the components of feedback that I needed to hear in order to be ready for this next level. It's true. We we redid our website. We redid our language. We redefined our North Star. And I think you have to be flexible. You have to be able to pivot because it's a never-ending work in progress. I've updated my deck over 50 times. Like you're never done. You're never done with it.
2: I'm curious, what are the two pages in that deck that the investors were focused on?
0: Financials the financial pages. So one is like your 18 month milestone and the next is like your revenue P&L and where you're planning to go. And you know, it's interesting. I've also learned from the women in my community and our founders. As founders, that's where you're usually spending the least amount of time because these numbers, you're projecting them. Nobody knows exactly what the future is going to hold. You're doing key assumptions and projections, and there's formulas that you can use, standard formulas to be able to get to those presumptions, but you're just projecting. So we're spending time on the things that they're not even looking at, like your team and your marketing, and they're just going straight to the numbers. So I do encourage founders to really spend time with numbers. I'm not super great at numbers. I've forced myself to be over these past few years, but hire yourself amazing at an accountant, a consultant who can sit with you for an hour and kind of go through everything and really make sure that your numbers make sense. This advice
1: is priceless. I want to underscore what you said about the amount of time you've spent honing your message and really listening to the feedback and not taking it personally, right? It it is feedback, but it's like, how do you get better? How can we help women get comfortable with this process and don't take it so personally? Learn, pivot and go.
0: Well, one, they can join a feely cohort because this is exactly what we do. It's personal and professional growth. Every month has a different theme. We're walking you through step-by-step the roadmap, everything you need to be successful to grow and scale and build business, whether you're raising capital or not. So that's number one. Um, I would also say something that we are conditioned. Let's talk about making asks. As women, through society and culture, we are taught not to make asks. It's impolite, it's rude, you know, don't speak out of tone, don't don't make asks making asks are the most essential thing we can do as business owners. We teach women how to ask for what they want and what they need and make educated and inform asks. So from a young age, we're taught not to, but we have to recondition our mindset to start making asks. So this is something women learn in Feely month one. We make them make asks at every round table. And it's so interesting because when they start out, you know, they're really shy and they're timid about their asks. They're like, well, maybe... Can you help me do this? And then by month three, they literally have a list. This is an ask list that we did last night from a roundtable. And they're coming with, like, this is what I need from you. This is what I need. And it's beautiful to see how they make these asks and then how people are able to help and contribute. So that's one, making asks. But also, I like to say, you know, just even from Harvard Business Review data, when it comes to women applying for jobs and for roles, We won't apply for a role if we don't check off 80% of the boxes of the role. But if a man checks off 40%, he's going to go for it. So it's also women being confident, like getting over that imposter syndrome, just knowing that you're going to have the opportunity to figure it out. You're going to fail. You're not going to be perfect. And it takes time. The way that we can correct this is just by getting real and, and sharing more experiences. I also have seen it be a generational thing, too. I'm 33 years old. I've lived a lot of life. I've had a lot of jobs. I started working when I was 13. I don't know it all. And I've made a lot of mistakes. But the fact that I can stand here and say, I'm trying my best every day and I'm trying to help empower other women, if we just can bring our best to the table and be open and honest, then we're going to get further faster.
1: I think sharing these mistakes is so much more than just helping people learn from them. I think by sharing them, Jax, it makes everybody realize everyone makes mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. It even makes yourself realize, eh, I got, I lived through it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And sharing money mistakes too. And, just money in general. I had a really great corporate role. I had everything I wanted financially, but I was just soulless. I was super unhappy in the work that I was doing. I felt like I had no impact. I had no life. I was working seven days a week. I still don't really have the life, but I'm at least... <laughs> but you doing, have alignment I'm with your purpose. Something I love, yeah. I'm doing something with purpose. I'm making literally $0. I'm the last person to pay myself. Everything I have is going into my business. And I think, that's also a big misconception when people see you getting press, getting media, having these big fancy partners, they think that you are, you know, rolling in the dough. Meanwhile, you're the last line item on any type of budget payout, and I think it's also getting real about not over-glamorizing entrepreneurship. It is hard, it is tough there's sacrifices that had to be made. There's vacations that I can't go on. There's things that I have to cross off my budget. I have to get real scrappy on partnership deals and how I get to sustain things in my life. And I think it's also taking time to be open and honest about that too.
2: Hallelujah. So important. Everything that you just mentioned, I think really does apply to all aspects of money conversations. They can start off being awkward and strange, but the more we have them, the easier it is, just like making the ass as an entrepreneur. Jax, I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that you've participated in 175 pitches this year. Tell us about pitches you've made to women investors and whether there's you've noticed any difference there between talking to a female investor and a male investor.
0: So, this is going to surprise everybody. Most of my investors on my cap table are men. There are not many female investors. And that is the cause of most of this that's going on right here. The institutional funds that are run by women are quite small, meaning their check sizes are really small. The funds in general are usually 20 to 25 million, which is considered quite low and there's not many of them. So I do have some fabulous female angel investors who do write small checks, who've been super supportive, but most of the stakeholders in my company are men. And we call them man ambassadors. They're strong men, they're smart men, they support women, they're fathers. They really care about what we're doing. I think there's also a misconception that you have to be a woman to be involved with Feely. We have a lot of wonderful men that support this conversation and I do believe it's important to involve Men as well.
2: So awesome. Tell us what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with?
0: My next money conversation is going to be with an institutional investor next week to let them know that my seed round is opening very soon. I actually have money conversations almost every day with potential partners for Feely. So I'm always excited about money conversations. Jax,
1: I'm so excited for you. I'm excited for the Feely community. There's going to be a lot of benefits for all of us as a result. And thank you so much for joining us on the Money Tales
0: podcast. Thank you so much, Cammy and Sandy. I appreciate you.
1: Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to Asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.